More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. All right, second hour of Clay and Buck kicks off right now, everybody. Appreciate you rolling with us. Um, We set up the basics of the Daniel Penny trial. It is now a trial. He has been indicted on Friday. We're going to return to that story here in just a few moments. Also, keeping a close eye on the border, it feels at some level like we're just giving you updates on that disaster becoming more disastrous and some of the additional uh, second-order effects. Like now, there are people being told, sorry, you can't actually rent those rooms or You're not able to, uh, you know, veterans aren't able to be housed, let's say, in some of this uh, housing that's meant for people to help them get back on their feet. Got to clear out room for the illegals. That's what we see going on. That's what we see happening. So we'll uh, we'll return to those stories in a second. But this just hit me. I mean, Clay sent me this and I, I couldn't believe, honestly, at the time. That this is where things had had gone. This is the reality that we all we all face. But they must not have been paying very close attention over at the whoever owns. I don't even know who owns Miller Lite. I, as you all know, I, I don't really know much about beer at all. Beer, I guess, and and professional sports teams these days. I have celiac disease, so I cannot drink. Drinking beer for me is like drinking poison. I can't drink beer. Normal. But I know everyone's gonna say, "What about sorghum ale?" I always want to say to people, Clay. Does that sound awesome to you, sorghum ale? I, I, I just want to say that might have been the most Brian Stelter-like uh, audio drop of your career. I don't really drink beer, and I don't know anything about sports. And then everybody out there is like, <laughs> Stelter's right, like, Clay, I knew. Stelter pumped his fist, and he was like, Stelter's I knew like, Buck was Sexton my guy. Is, Sexton is on the team. He is right there with me. Soon you, you and Stelter are going to be having like a oh, meeting man. where you just hug and cry. You know, just try one out. You put your head on his shoulder. We're going to be wearing he some CNN onesies. It's going to be great. You know, with the little feet You're gonna built be walk- into the PJs. Yeah, and the walking around with vagina hats before all is said and done here pretty soon in the Women's March. All right, let's get cry. back to making fun of Coors Light or Miller Light or whoever, sir. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Um, so here we had Miller Light watching what had happened to Bud Light. 
and deciding, you know what, it's a good time for us to release an ad where we also try to move the, f- the feminist conversation about beer making forward. Play some of this audio, guys. Here's a little known fact. Women were among the very first to brew beer ever. From Mesopotamia to the Middle Ages to colonial America, women were the ones doing the brewing. Centuries later, how did the industry pay homage to the founding mothers of beer? They put us in bikinis. Wow. It's time beer made it up to women. So today, Miller Lite is on a mission to clean up not just their shit, but the whole beer industry's shit. Miller Lite has been scouring the internet for all this shit and buying it back so that they can turn it into good shit for women brewers. But there's definitely more shit out there. In your attic, in the garage, in your parents' basement. Send any shit you got into Miller Lite and they'll turn that into good shit too. So here's to women, because without us, there would be no beer. Yeah, there also would be no humanity or existence. We all get that. We're all very pro women here. This is this is utterly bizarre, and and also this this game that that we're all going to play now. You, you know what the most consistent privilege across all cultures, across all societies, all races, all religions, all periods in history. You know what the real privilege is, Clay? Good looking people. Now Clay is shaking his head. He's like, Yeah, I know. It's a big it's a big challenge for the very good looking folks. But I'm just I'm just telling you, pretty people privilege as it is known, that is real. And you know, it's just the way that it is. And this notion that, you know, we're not using bikinis to sell beer anymore. It's like, what are you using to sell beer these days? Because the whole guy dressed as a girl thing didn't work out very well. So for people out there who haven't seen this video, this is a woman walking through uh, a factory floor, like a beer universe, I don't know, brewery. I'm not sure exactly what it's supposed to be. And behind her, there's all these photos of old Miller Lite ads with girls in bikinis. So first of all, if you want to talk, everybody wants to talk about privilege these days. The apex of privilege is hot girl privilege. If you are an incredibly good-looking woman, You get more privilege than anyone who has ever existed in the history of mankind. And everybody out there listening knows that this goes on all the time. Remember back in the day there used to be a... uh, Seinfeld's a great show, right? Uh, Seinfeld was dating a really good-looking woman, and he he basically made this argument. She could do anything that she wanted. Really good-looking women can get away with anything. So if you really wanted to go and address the privilege hierarchy, this is the apex, okay? I also don't understand. If you are Miller Lite, and you are looking around at everything that's going on with Bud Light, and you have legitimately, Buck, seen your overall brand scales, uh, sales, this was in the Wall Street Journal, skyrocket by <laughs> 20%, why in the world would you decide that you were going to do anything to help light yourself on fire in the same method, magnitude, or uh, process by which Bud Light has done this. And I think the only answer is because when this is also funny. This would be a funnier ad than this ridiculous Miller Light ad would be the guy who was sitting in the marketing room when they played this ad, who 100% knew that this ad was a disaster but was afraid he'd be called a misogynist if he said, hey, I don't think we should repudiate our ads featuring women in bikinis. And this also ties in, can we pull back up the Tudor Dixon clip that we played on Thursday? 
I own a beer, Gratis Beer, located in Tennessee. we got a beer company. We're having fun with it. It's just in Tennessee. I'd encourage you to drink it. If I owned a big national beer company right now, I would go so aggressively into girls in bikinis, parties, football, having an amazing time, which was the number one way we sold beer up until like seven years ago. And my beer sales would skyrocket because the overwhelming majority of my beer drinkers like pretty girls, football, and having a good time. This is not rocket science, okay? The number of women out there who are offended because girls in bikinis help to sell beer is virtually zero. There's people who claim that they're offended, but the actual number of people who are offended by this is zero. I mean, look look at, we're in the news business, right? Basically, and you look at you look on TV now. Yes, it's not a modeling competition, but it's obviously an advantage for men and and for women. I mean, you'll notice like even the male anchors are, you know, they, they tend to choose for handsomeness at some level. This is just a basic reality of marketing that we're all aware of. Now, there are, there can be things can go too far. There can be things in bad taste. But what's really interesting is that they've clearly decided that the beer industry as partying football and and babes is something that they're ashamed of. And I mean the people who work in marketing in the beer industry, right? That's what this ad is really all about. It's like, I can't believe this is how we used to sell stuff. It's like, well, ultimately, you're talking about beer. I mean, I know people in this, we got all the emails that you could tell the difference between, you know, Molson and Coors and Miller and Sam Adams. I mean, I have no idea. Okay, um, but- I will say, like, higher-end beer. Like, okay, there's a difference between Guinness and Bud Light, right? I could well, tell yeah, the difference that's- between those every day. There's not much difference between – I'm going to go to the, wa- the war on this, Buck. Everybody out there being like, you give me a blind taste test and I can tell you what a Miller Light is versus a Coors Light versus a Bud Light. I give you nachos and a hot dog and you eat those first and then you start to take a drip, s- yeah. sip of beer. You can't tell the difference. My, my, my point here just being that it is obviously a big part of it is marketing, right? This is it's the perception of the brand. What does this brand represent for you? What does this brand represent overall? That's true in beer. It's true in you know, chocolate bars and cars and you name it, right? We all know this stuff. Marketing 101. Tudor Dixon, you mentioned yes. her. We have it now. Here she is. She ran for governor. Now she's on the Clay and Buck podcast, which is a phenomenal podcast stream you should all subscribe to on the iHeart app. But anyway, here she is saying, you know, beer and bikinis, not a bad combo. From a marketing perspective, I think it's very clear that those were not their buyers. So now they know that the trans community was not their main source of revenue. (laughs) You have got to look at that. I'm telling you, my marketing strategy for them will work. Go back to chicks in bikinis with a car wash, drinking Bud Light. You're going to sell a lot. It's true. You know, the association also, this is true for wine drinkers, and now I'm starting to sound like I sit around with a top hat and a monocle. I don't drink beer, but I drink a little bit of wine. Um, but I, and I, 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 I'm dressed like Mr. Peanut when I drink my wine, apparently. I've got like a little cane, little top hat. But um, they, they've, they've done studies to show, this is sounding really nerdy, we're talking about alcohol, but that people's belief that what they're drinking is really good, meaning really, really excellent vintage, does enhance the pleasure they get from drinking it. So the yeah. perception can drive some of the the pleasurable brain signal reality of it. And so the whole point here for Miller and Bud and everything is someone, uh, they crack it open, 
relaxing, partying. I mean, this is just in, in all the marketing. And if the association is beautiful women, partying, sunny place, good day, that can affect the way the beer actually tastes to the person, as crazy to some as that may sound. Most of life is aspirational. And most of marketing is making people aspire to be in better places than they are right now. Most beer drinking, let's be honest, is by men, by themselves, in their house. Right? I I think that's the, the number one way I would imagine that beer is consumed, on average, in America, is a guy who's 50 years old drinks a beer by himself in his house. The way they sell beer is... Oh, you're going to be at the Super Bowl, and you're going to be uh, hanging out with a uh, Victoria's Secret supermodel back when the Su- Victoria's Secret supermodels actually were good-looking and not just fat chicks. And you're going to be hanging out with all your best buddies, high-fiving your team's going to win. And the reality is you're probably watching your team lose from your, uh, from your house by yourself uh and uh and 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 that's the reality but the aspirational aspects of it are good and here's the challenge and i I think about this a lot because i i could see this tying in with why vice has gone bankrupt and why buzzfeed has collapsed buck these marketing people that all these big brands hire they live in new york and la they never drink beer they certainly never drink light beer and they go out and they talk to their friends, and it's some you know Harvard MBA who's 37 years old, a woman, and she's like, hey, what would make you drink Miller Lite or Bud Light, even though her friends never drink it now? And they sit around and they're drinking wine, and they say, well, you know, if they were just less misogynistic, maybe. And the answer is no, you're never going to walk up to a bar if you are a... 37-year-old graduate degree woman, by and large, and be like, hey, I'll have a Miller Lite. You just aren't going to do that. You're not going to order a Bud Light. But they convince themselves that if they run a marketing campaign to appeal to the people in their social circles, that it will somehow work when the reality is it's some dude in the Midwest who loves Ohio State. It's some guy in Alabama who loves Auburn. And they sit around and they drink light beer and they like football. And guess what? They like good-looking girls. That's the base. Don't try and change your brand. You are destroying what made your brand exist in the first place by hiring these people. And yet they do it over and over and over again. Brad Stelter would like to go on the record that Clay is both mansplaining and beer-splaining. <laughs> and, and Stelter is literally shaking right now. Literally shaking right now. So I just want everyone to know. So the beer splitting and man splitting has not gone unnoticed by the MSM out there. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. 
LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. You can handle the truth. More Clay Travis and Buck Sexton coming up. I'm grateful for Ireland's partnership in delivering the game change, this game changing international agreement. Similarly, the deep connection that has always existed between our people and the land has translated into a commitment to fight climate crisis to preserve our planet for future generations. The single existential threat to the world is climate change. We don't have a lot of time, and that's a fact. They're even recognizing, finally, everyone's recognizing America. I've flown over more territory in the United States since I've been president in a helicopter that has been burned to the ground and comprises the entire state of Maryland. That's a weird fact we're clay travis buck sexton joe biden addressing the media about the existential threat as it's always called of climate change and buck i have trouble even focusing on what biden is saying because his speech feels to me so strained even in terms of the way he sounds you know what i'm talking about it's like he's sucking on his teeth and trying his best and so aggressively to even read what's been written on the teleprompter that he has almost no idea what he's even saying. I also am, I'm mad and disgusted that Democrats have put us in this position. I don't want to sit here and make fun of a a really old man for being old or, or even have to talk about it, 
but he's the president. He's yes. the commander in chief. He's got the nuclear goods. We have no choice, right? This is what they have. This is the hand we, the American people, have been dealt that this guy, uh, Joe Biden, is the president. But it just goes to, I think, a ruthlessness and a recklessness that the Democrats have that they would put us in the position where we've got to say, guys, he's like in the certainly the early, maybe mid stages of dementia. We can all see it. Um, and, and then just also on the the climate change thing of all of the Democrat obsessions. You know, I actually asked Carrie this. Recently. I was curious, like, when was the last time you came across somebody who was talking about this, who you thought was really truly terrified of climate change and when you're talking about an existential threat you know massive nuclear war with russia which you know something we should keep in mind we don't want that that is an existential threat to humanity no question about it one degree celsius rise in temperature maybe over the next hundred years is going to end humanity this is lunacy clay and the president of the united states says it like it's some established fact that we can all agree on existential means no longer existing all of us are going to die the whole world's going to end? Well, and actually, if you look at the data, great cold kills far more people than great heat. So even if you look at people who are dying in climate-related disasters, the numbers are actually declining. Yeah. So, and, and look, if you actually analyze historically the amount that temperatures have swung wildly in uh, the world and on our globe... It's happened throughout human history. So uh, this is the one where I I legitimately sit back and say I have never lost a moment's sleep ever being concerned about what's going to happen to the climate. Zero. 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 My entire life. You know, they can talk about like wealth inequality and things like that. And I'll say, all right, they're using it as a as an open door for socialism. But that's a problem. I can see that's an issue. You know, this isn't, isn't even an issue. But it's the biggest one we face, Biden says, in Ireland. One truth revealed after another. Clay, Travis, and Buck Sexton. We have with us right now Senator Rand Paul. Uh, Senator Paul, great to have you back with us, sir, representing the wonderful state of Kentucky. Um, You want to talk to us about AI. We haven't really gotten into it that much on the program. Maybe we should more going forward. What are the primary things that people all across the country right now need to know when it comes to artificial intelligence, and what are your concerns? You know, our concern is that the government use a tool like this to actually spy on its own citizens. You know, when I first read 1984 when I was a kid, I was concerned But I really wasn't alarmed because I said, hey, government doesn't have two-way television screens. They can't surveil all of us all the time because they don't have the technology. We now have the technology, and the technology itself is not evil or bad. Technology is neither. Technology is neutral. But it's a technology that can troll through a great amount of information. So if the government decides to use artificial intelligence on Twitter or social media to look for certain phrases that they find to be – disinformation or the government doesn't like. Let's say, for example, that I say COVID vaccines aren't really necessary for children who've already had COVID. There's a lot of scientific evidence to back that up, but it's an opinion, and you can have an alternative opinion. But what if those code words are put into an algorithm, 
artificial intelligence then trolls through the Internet and then the government takes down comments it doesn't like. That's a real First Amendment problem. And so my point in the hearing today on the Hill was that it's not just about regulating technology. It's about saying you cannot use technology to limit speech that is protected by the Constitution. Senator, how transformative do you think AI is going to be in all facets of life? And I ask this question because it wasn't very long ago that Mark Zuckerberg came out and he said, hey, I'm changing the entire name of Facebook to Meta because I believe this online metaverse is going to be rapidly the future. I think that has crumbled in the last year. You heard a lot about Meta. Based on what you are seeing associated with AI, how transformative is it? In the next four or five years, how much different might our lives be based on the growth and transformations effect of AI? I think the first thing is, is I do not preach irrational fear of technology or of artificial intelligence. It can be used for good. It can be used for harm. There are many things where there's a great deal of information. So we had one of our experts today, Jacob Siegel, who wrote uh, a great essay on tablet that I recommend. And he used to be an intelligence officer in the military. And he says, for foreign purposes, there's some some usefulness to taking artificial intelligence. If we've been eavesdropping on either phone calls or communications, and we have large caches of information on people who might be our enemies, artificial intelligence to troll through that to find things is important. But it's different if someone has a large database of Americans' phone calls and wants to troll through that because we have First Amendment rights, we have Fourth Amendment rights. It's different on where you apply it. So artificial intelligence applied to combing through communications for intelligence of people who don't live in the United States, I'm all for that. If you want to troll through Americans' uh, conversations, uh, I'm completely against it. You should have to go to a judge on an individualized basis and ask for a warrant and present probable cause why you want to listen to this information. So it really is a matter of obeying the Constitution that's important to me, not the technology. As far as transformative, yeah, I think it will be, but I think we don't have to have undue fear of this. We just have to keep in perspective And this has been going on for a while, even without AI, going all the way back to 9-11. The Department of Homeland Security has been spying on Americans, people who are pro-life, people who are pro-Constitution, people who support certain candidates are part of a profile of people that they talk about that they should have increased or stepped up observation of these people. And I think that's wrong. And so it's not just artificial intelligence. Really, it's about trying to say government should not be snooping on Americans. Speaking of Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky, uh, Senator Paul, I-, I wanted to switch gears and get your take on um, just not really so much the latest in Ukraine, but the overall policy trajectory. I mean, in the last 24 hours, there have been there's a major missile barrage of Russian missiles missiles fired at Ukraine, the uh, Kiev, the capital city of Ukraine. It feels like this just continues to uh, drag on, escalate more casualties, more money. What do you make of the policy right now that this country has toward Ukraine, and do you think that it could it could and should be changed in 2024? Well, so far we've given about $100 billion uh, to Ukraine. Money we don't have, it has to be borrowed from China to send to Ukraine. Now, as far as sympathies, sure, my sympathies are with the uh, underdog, with a country that's been attacked with Ukraine. I think Putin made a, an unwise decision, or turn out to be one of the worst decisions he's ever made or any leader made, because... He's now trapped in a war he can't win. Likewise, I don't think Ukraine can win either, and I don't think we should be for sending unlimited money that we don't have that we have to borrow to send to them. 
I think the longer the, the money spigot stays open, the longer the war continues. And really, there have to be some realistic limits. There needs to be a negotiated solution because neither side is going to win an outright unconditional surrender from the other. And so, one, we don't have the money, but two, I think more lives will be lost and the country will be further destroyed if the war continues on year after year. Senator, I know a lot of the Durham report findings had been widely discussed, uh, certainly on this program and many others over the years. You've run for president before. How do we fix the FBI? What, what do we need to do to to make it actually a trustworthy governmental institution again? What would you do if you were tasked with that responsibility? The number one most important thing is we should not be allowed to spy on Americans or invade Americans' privacy without an order from a judge, from an Article Three judge. What happened to the Trump uh, campaign was that the FBI went after them using foreign intelligence surveillance court orders. So this, this court was set up in the 1970s to go after foreigners. That's the name, foreign intelligence surveillance, and instead is being used against Americans. I have a simple amendment to FISA, and it simply says FISA can't be used on Americans. And people say, well, what if the American is a terrorist? Go to a judge. I don't know a judge in America that won't give you a warrant if you come with evidence that somebody is colluding with some foreign power to be a terrorist in this country. Most of 9-11, most of the information we had was not divulged, not for a denial of a warrant. They never asked for a warrant. So after 9-11, they came to us and said, oh, we need all this extra power because we need to be able to get people who are in the country, like the hijackers that were here. Nobody asked for a warrant on any of the potential hijackers. We knew who some of them were, but nobody ever asked for a warrant from a judge that was turned down. So we have the tools and the ability to do this by the Constitution. The FBI wouldn't have all these abuses if they weren't allowed to use spies on Americans. So the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court should be precluded from and only used for foreigners, not on Americans. And Senator Paul, one more for you. The uh, oh, Clay, Clay, Clay has. Go ahead, Clay. You wanted to go again. Well, no, I was just gonna. You ask your question, then I'm gonna ask him. We got a primary going on in Kentucky. I want to make sure we encourage people to go vote and why that's important. No, I'll go I ahead like. And ask I like. You. I, no, no, no. I like your question more, Clay. Go, go, please, uh, Senator Paul. You're in Kentucky right now. Obviously, a lot of our Kentucky listeners. There is a primary to select the nominee to take on the governor. It's a Democrat governor. You lived through what Governor Bashir did associated with COVID. He got almost everything wrong. How important is it that all of our listeners out in Kentucky go and select a, uh, a, a nominee today, but then also zealously support that nominee up into the election in November? Yeah, I think we have several good candidates. I haven't endorsed in the primary, but I will endorse the winner of the primary today. I also think that the election in the fall will be closer than many think. Kentucky's a state that's been leaning Republican for quite a while, but uh, the race will be a 50-50 race in the fall. But the job of the Republican nominee will be to remind Kentuckians that this governor actually shut down churches on Easter and sent the state government agents to take down license plates of people going to church. This governor forbid travel. This governor forbid going to school. And almost every one of this governor's emergency edicts were later struck down by by federal judges. So these were big things that we're not going to forget very soon. 
and whoever the nominee is, it's their job to remind the voters and remind people of Kentucky of the authoritarian impulse of the authoritarian actions of this governor, because what happened under COVID should never, ever happen again. Senator, this is a perfect uh, moment to let you take a crack at our throwback clip here. This is Rochelle Walensky. Um, I think this is 2022 um, or maybe it's 20. Yeah, 2022. Uh, Here she is saying that masks are 80% effective. Play it. The evidence is clear. Masks can help prevent the spread of COVID-19 by reducing your chance of infection by more than 80%. Whether it's an infection from the flu, from the coronavirus, or even just the common cold. In combination with other steps like getting your vaccination, hand washing, and keeping physical distance, wearing your mask is an important step you can take to keep us all healthy. Senator Paul, you're also doc. You're also Doctor Paul, and that was November 2021. Eighty percent, they say, stops COVID by eighty <laughs> percent. Even Anthony Fauci no longer believes this. He was interviewed by the New York Times in an extensive piece about a week or two ago, and Fauci's response was, "Well, mask, you know, uh, maybe ten percent effective on the margins if you wear one of the really highly effective ones." So even Fauci admits they weren't working, even though he was plastering them all over his face. It was all theater. It was all about submission. And really, there's no good scientific evidence. There's been a Cochrane study, a multivariate analysis of many different studies, and it came to the conclusion no randomized controlled studies have shown that masks work in the public setting. And so we were forced to do things based on pseudoscience based on Fauci's impulse to authoritarianism, but there was no real evidence that masks work. The mandates didn't work. If you look what states and counties that put the mandates on, no relation to any reduction in infection. Basically, they were dishonest with us, but this is why trust and belief in public health officials is at all-time low. They brought it on themselves by being dishonest with the public. Senator Rand Paul, always appreciate you, sir. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, guys. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last 
four or five days, it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, from this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. More fun and conversation coming up from Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. Buck, I, I had a fun, well, it wasn't really that fun, but it was an interesting uh, interaction. I had two interesting interactions right after I finished the show yesterday. Okay. Interaction number one. I So I'm publishing this new book. It's coming out in August. And I had a call with the lawyer who had reviewed it to make sure whether there are things that need to be changed for legal reasons, whatever. Nothing needs to be changed. But only like five or six people have read my book. And so at the end of the call, I was like, hey, what did you think of the book? And he was like, I disagreed with all of it. <laughs> and I was just thinking, I was just thinking for the lawyer who had to review my entire book and he hated every single argument that I made the whole way through, that's really kind of remarkable. Second thing was I'm trying to get um, life insurance uh, because, you know, I'm 44 now. I got young family, want to take care of them, whatever. So I've got a, uh, I've got a medical exam that I have to do. And you like got a they, little more salt and pepper in that beard, buddy. I'm just saying. That's true. You know, I'm I gaining know. on I was thinking you, about that the other day. I've never dyed the beard, but I was, uh, I was actually trimming my beard this morning it's almost all white. My, my hair has not gone white, but I'm going to be like a little bit of a weird dude because I'm going to just have a white beard and then still not white hair. I don't know if anybody else has had this happen. It doesn't make sense to me why the beard would go white and the hair would stay relatively brown or whatever. So I'm not sure what the cause is there. But she comes in and it's pretty detailed. Like at one point she has me hooked up to an EKG and I got to lay down on the couch and there's like all these different prongs to read my heart and everything else. And she's taking a lot of blood and everything else. But the minute she walks in, uh, she uh, she hears me and she says, oh, my God, I love the show. And then the second part, she's like, you haven't been able to eat your turkey and cheese sandwich today because I wasn't allowed to eat food before the examination. So she's like, we got to get through with this really fast. So I wanted to thank Lori. Uh, for coming out and making sure hopefully that I don't die anytime soon uh, and that if I do at least the family gets money for it but I love that she was such a listener that she immediately thought because of the blood work and everything else oh you haven't had an opportunity to eat lunch so she was fantastic uh, in much more serious news I would say we also have a call and this call is asking I think a really smart question because Buck the conversation we were just having um, is about the fact that they may well stack multiple 
different cases on Trump because not a coincidence they wanted to have this trial in January of 24 and then if there are charges brought in the Atlanta Georgia case you stack that case and then if there are charges brought by the Department of Justice you stack that as well Trump can't simultaneously be in multiple different courtrooms so one would have to follow the other they're potentially trying to put him in courtrooms for the entirety of 2024 to rig the election in favor of Joe Biden. And Andy in Austin, Texas, has a good question about this. Yeah, so is there collusion between those officers? I think we, I think Jim Jordan ought to subpoena every one of them and uh, get any of their phone records, all their emailing records, and just see if the, if we have the DNC and the DOJ and the DA in, a, in New York and the DA in, in Atlanta, just to see what kind of conversations they're having between one another. Fantastic idea. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I think there's there's two levels to this. One is um, the idea that we just need to start fighting fire with fire, which is what this caller is going to, uh, and I, I completely agree. It never stops. They're never going to stop because they feel guilty about cheating, about foul play, about any of that, right? They're just going to keep doing it until they are stopped. One way you may be able to get them to not use this Trump indictment as a precedent. You think this is the last time they're going to indict a politician to try to stop them from being a contender against their, them and their power? Definitely not. So you have to find a way to exact a price for the tactics that they're using. So that's part one. I think you and I, Clay, see that the same way. And it's a, it's a great point from the caller. And yeah, I mean, we do have a majority in the House, thank heavens, that can use the power of subpoena. Look what, you know, Pelosi and, and her gang were pulling people's phone records, doing all kinds of, uh, of very aggressive investigative tactics. So that's, that's for sure. On the collusion side of it, it's interesting because I think that we've all, collusion was so misused as a term, never mind the fact that it was all lies, but just misused as a term during the Trump era and the Mueller probe because it really was conspiracy in legal terms that they were talking about, like a conspiracy to you know defraud or steal the election or whatever. Um, Collusion, I think, only exists in criminal statute when it comes to antitrust law. So it's like price fixing between companies. I don't know if you I don't think you can have collusion that goes to government agencies. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. That it's an interesting legal question. I would say a couple of things. One, his general premise is a good one. I would love to know how much interaction there has been between prosecutors in Georgia, New York, and in the Department of Justice as it pertains to their Trump investigations. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. 
This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.